Thank you, Dick. Mary had a little lamb, was given her to keep. Mary had a little lamb, was given her to keep. Then it joined the local church and died for lack of sleep. (laughs) You know, we know that feeling, don't we? I'm surprised I didn't hear any amens. Oh, the activity that we can often experience in church life. But isn't it true that we ache for something more satisfying to our soul than moving from activity to activity? Isn't it true we long for a rest from the turmoil of our hectic and hurried society? Oh, there's so much to do and little time to do it. And yet we long for that beachside cottage, perhaps, with no phones, or that mountain cabin where at night the only lights you see are the myriad stars above. We want what is now considered a premium in our society, R&R, rest and relaxation. But as much as we want rest and relaxation, there are a good many souls today who want to be free from the turmoil of the internal. And you know what I'm talking about. That constant churning of dissatisfaction on the inside that gnaws away at your contentment and tells you that something is simply not right. The turmoil of the internal is the absence of peace on the inside that leaves you feeling lonely, perhaps even in a crowd. The turmoil of the inside will not let you go. It will not relent. It will not stop. It hounds you like a tiger stalking its prey. What am I talking about? Soul satisfaction. Or as the Bible speaks to it, rest for our souls. Have you entered into this rest? Our theme for our study in the book of Joshua has been entering God's best. We enter God's best by entering God's rest. We enter God's best by entering God's rest. And so this morning, we turn our attention to the last half of Joshua. We left off last week in Joshua chapter 10. We're picking up chapters 11 through 21 this morning. We're here for the day. (laughs) I don't hear any amens there either. What we have, though, in, in chapters 11 through 21 is God's gift list. People have have crossed the the river of impossibility. They they shouted down the walls of Jericho. They dealt with failures. They, They dealt with mistakes. They cleansed the land of evil practices of the Canaanites. But there's one thing left to do. They must divide the land of promise among the tribes of Israel. The hard work had been done. Enemies have been vanquished. Wars have been won. Relatively speaking, this is the easy part. Taking possession of the real estate God had given to them. The inheritance is theirs. The word inheritance, by the way, is used over 50 times in chapters 11 through 21. Inheritance. It's theirs. 
All they need to do now is claim it. Now, no doubt, more sermons have been preached on the first half of the book of Joshua because it's loaded with the good stuff, the great stories of true accounts of spies and battles and victories. Oh, there were defeats and there was deception. But the last half of the book, not so much. It majors in the mundane, provides us with the dreary details of which tribes get which areas of lands. It's, it is lots of lots. Detailed plans of the cosmic real estate developer of the promised land, which makes genealogies exciting by comparison. <laughs> chapter after chapter filled with names of places we don't recognize and can't even pronounce. We then come to the last three verses of Joshua chapter 21 that Dick just read for us. They're refreshing verses. These verses here are the theological heart of the book of Joshua. In a very real sense, it is theology intermingled with doxology. A praise about God's glory, His excellence. That's what doxology is. It is as if the writer, after telling us how Joshua divvied up the land, breaks out in praise to God for all of it. This is a beautiful summary statement. So beautiful, I want to read it again. Joshua 21, verse 43 through 45. Follow along with me. Verse 43. So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their forefathers, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their forefathers. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord handed all their enemies over to them. Not one of the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Now the main thought is this. They were blessed people in a blessed place, blessing God. They were a blessed people and a blessed place, blessing God. This is all about blessing. For outline purposes, this morning I've broke down to three points. I think it captures what's here and where we're going to go with this this morning. The first thought is that God's resolve to bless his people. We see that heading. God's resolve to bless his people. And then second heading is our responsibility to enter that place of blessing. And then the third heading is our response ought to be one of praise to the blessing giver. We are a blessed people and a blessed place blessing God. So first of all, we see God's resolve to bless his people. The promise that began back with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 is finally being realized by the people of God. Now for Abraham, he did not receive what was promised, but only saw it in a distance, it tells us in Hebrews 11. I mean, the only land Abraham ever received was Sarah's burial plot, and he had to buy that. One might think that the promise made so long ago had expired. One might think at times it didn't have a chance of fulfillment. It looked like God's people frustrated his promise as they spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness, remember? Listen, no barrier is too high for God to smash. 
No obstacle is too great for God to trample. No, it says here, not one of the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Not one. They were fulfilled. But it was a long time coming. How long will you wait for God's promise to be fulfilled? How long will you wait for God's promise to be fulfilled? You say, ah, he's not coming through. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. How long will you wait for God's promise to be be fulfilled? Because we see God's resolve here to bless his people. Three times in three verses, it speaks of what God did for them. We see the phrase, the Lord gave. We see that phrase again, the Lord gave. We see the Lord handed over. This land is their land. (laughs) Why? He keeps pounding his point home. Why is it their land? Because the land he had sworn to give, it says in verse 43. Why is is this land their land? Because it says in verse 44, just as he had sworn to their forefathers. Why is this land their land? Because verse 45 says the Lord's good promises. See, this is a grand testimony of God's fidelity to his promise and to his people. The focus is on God's resolve to bless his people. And you say, well, that's good for Israel, but what does that have to do with me? God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you. Do you believe that? Is that your idea of God, that he's out to bless you? Or is your thought of God that he is out to get you? One evening, a woman was driving home when she noticed a huge truck behind her that was driving uncomfortably close. She stepped on the gas to gain some distance from the truck, but when she sped up, the truck right on her tail sped up also. The faster she drove, the faster the truck drove. Now scared, she exited the freeway, but the truck stayed right with her. The woman then turned up a main street, hoping to lose her pursuer in traffic, but the truck ran a red light and continued the chase. Reaching the point of panic, the woman whipped her car into service station and bolted out of her car, screaming for help. The truck driver sprang from his truck and ran toward the car. Yanking the back door open, the driver pulled out a man hidden in the back seat that she was totally unaware of. The woman was running from the wrong person. From his vantage point, the truck driver had spotted a would-be rapist in the woman's car. The chase was not his effort to harm her, but to save her, even at the cost of his own safety. Now, in a similar way, Many are running from God, figuring he's out to get them to ruin their lives. And they keep running. His desire is to bless and to rescue us from the hidden sin that endangers our lives. He's not out to ruin your life. He's out to bless your life. Let me ask you, have you sensed God chasing you? Have you? Will you stop running and instead enter into his best for your life? God's resolve to bless. He's committed to it. 
Our responsibility is to enter that place of blessing, our second heading. Our responsibility is to enter that place of blessing. Notice with me verse 44. For it speaks of the Lord giving them rest on every side. It was promised to them back in in, in Deuteronomy chapter 25 verse 19. Deuteronomy 25, 19 said, When the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you and the land he's giving you to possess as an inheritance. And what would have been most certainly on their minds as they made their journey towards the promised land is this notion of rest. They would look forward to that day when all the battles were behind them and they would experience God's powerful presence They would live securely in the land as there would be a cessation of hostilities. Yet even though they enjoyed some relief in the promised land, was that the the ultimate rest God planned for them? I need you to look at a passage with me in the New Testament. I want you to go there because we're going to spend the rest of our time here. There's a change I made last minute uh, on Friday, and I, I really honestly... Uh, being transparent here, I resisted this. I went, Lord, no, we're not changing this sermon now. This is the direction we're going. <laughs> he had other ideas. Hebrews chapter 4. I want you to look at the book of Hebrews. It's towards the back of your Bible, just after the Timothys and Thessalonians and Titus, Philemon, and Hebrews. You get to James, you've gone one book too far. Now, in Hebrews chapter 4, I don't have time to develop all that's there in this chapter, but I hope this, is, this will be time well spent. Hebrews chapter 4 is all about rest for the people of God. And we talk about rest, what are we talking about? So as you're still turning there trying to find the book of Hebrews, let me ask you a question. Would you describe most people in America as restful? (laughs) We're doing this all the time. This is me. Right? Stop doing that, Brian. Relax. Are we restful? It's a rat race. And as one man quipped, and the rats are winning. People long for rest. Hebrews 4 addresses this matter of rest. What is this issue of God's rest? To what does it refer? Well, that brings us to Hebrews chapter 4. Have you found it yet? Are you there? Hebrews chapter 4. Jump with me ahead to the verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 8. It says, For if Joshua had given them rest, see the connection? For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Wait a minute. We just saw in Joshua 21 that the Lord had given them rest on every side. Did he or didn't he? Well, yes in the sense that they experienced in part a rest from the battles of their enemies. But if what the Israelites entered into by making it to the promised land was all that there was, then there would be no need for God to speak continually of the rest which still awaits the people of God. And what the people of God experienced in Canaan was a shadow of that which was still coming. For verse 9 says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Now, when did God rest from his work? Go back with me to verse 4. Verse 4. It says, For somewhere he's spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all his work. 
works. All his work. When we look back at the beginning of creation, we see that after God put all of creation together, and I believe a, a six 24-hour days, once he did that, he did what? What did God do on the seventh day? He rested. Was it due to physical exhaustion? Or, uh, no, God does not grow weary or, or tired. God had finished his work. He said it was good, and he rested. God was infinitely satisfied, and he rested. And when it speaks of God's resting, it isn't idleness. It is that God enjoyed having completed creation, and he would cease from the work of creation. There was nothing that could be added to creation to make it better. Everything was absolutely taken care of. It is good. Now, it isn't my intent this morning to address this matter of of, of God's pattern of rest upon which our lives ought to be built. But there is a point to be made about this notion of rest that I really hope we capture this morning. Adam and and, and later Eve, living in that environment after the six days were created, they lived in an environment, they were at God's rest. They had no anxieties. They had no worries. They enjoyed complete freedom of fellowship with God and with each other. They enjoyed leaning on God for everything. Then sin entered the world, Genesis 3. And what did they forfeit when they disobeyed God? Rest. Instead of enjoying rest, they were now restless. They hid They knew fear. They tried to sneak around and stay out of the sight of God. And restfulness would no longer characterize their lives and all of humanity since. It has been said there's a God-shaped hole in all of us. And the restless soul is searching. It is a void only he can fill. And God's great rest that he had provided for his creation was lost. God initiated rest at the time of creation, and though everyone blew it, he didn't just throw the whole idea of rest away. God doesn't do that. He isn't like us. He doesn't do things that don't matter. God didn't start rest for nothing. And do you know what the entire Bible is all about? It's the drama of redemption. It's the story of God's effort to get people back into his rest. How would he do this? By addressing the problem of sin. And so the coming of Jesus Christ took care of the sin issue and through his death all people may now enter back into God's rest. The restlessness in the hearts of people has a solution. It is to find rest and the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross who died in their place to pay the penalty for sin. Now hang in there with me. Don't check out yet. What is this rest? Well, we've seen it's foreshadowed in Canaan. It's related to the rest of God in creation. It has something to do with Sabbath principle of rest for the people of God. But it ultimately, and we must capture this, it ultimately finds its climax in the experience of the rest which comes to our souls. 
Perhaps your minds have already gone to another passage of Scripture. It's in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. You don't need to turn there. You can listen. Jesus' invitation goes out. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you hear what this is saying? Religion and rest are polar opposites. Sometimes what goes on in the, in the life of a church is that opposite with rest, spiritual rest. See, religion will work you to death. It will wear you out. In fact, the more you try to gain peace from religion, the more disturbed you become. The harder you try to be good at religion, the more exhausted you will be. There is no rest in religion. However, if rest is what you want, a rest from that inner cry for peace, Jesus says, I have good news for you. Quit trying to make it on your own. Stop trying to work your way to salvation. That is absolutely exhausting and futile. Instead, come to me, Jesus says. The whole issue is faith. It isn't activity. It's faith. Look at verse 2 of Hebrews 4. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them. Because those who heard did not combine it with faith. See, unless what you know is mixed with faith, it profits you nothing. Nothing. Nobody experiences God's rest apart from faith. Unbelief forfeits rest. Do you believe? Do you look upon the one who hung on the cross and say, I get that. I understand that this Jesus took my place and that God had done it all. Have you entered into that rest? Or are you on this performance treadmill? St. Augustine put it, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Notice the strong words of caution used in chapter 4 of Hebrews. In verse 1, we'll look at that one. It says, let us be careful. In the middle of the verse, let us be careful, or might even be translated, let us be fearful. Fearful of what? Careful of what? The whole chapter is about this. Be careful because you might be in that precarious place of a casual, almost believer. Do you hear that? Be careful. Be fearful that you might be in that precarious place of a casual, almost believer. Some of you in this room are on the verge of missing this spiritual rest. And the writer of Hebrews is addressing a group of people who are in danger of turning around and going back to Judaism. They are hanging right on the knife edge of decision. The word to them is, don't go back no matter how great the pressure, but take that next step of commitment to Christ. There are many people today who are in the same situation. 
not to turn back to Judaism, but have turned from their former way of life, turning toward Jesus Christ, yet not taking the next step of real commitment to Christ. Listen, to live there is to live in danger of turning back and having hardened hearts. That's what it's about. Read Hebrews 4. And my continued concern for those who have been under the hearing of the gospel over an extended period of time is that they will become anesthetized to the truth. In other words, the longer you hang in the balance and the more you hear the gospel, the easier it is to become numb to it and find one day that your heart is hardened. Back when, when Donna and I were first married, we, we moved into this, this trailer um, way out western New York um, between Rochester and Buffalo. What we didn't realize until we moved in is that this trailer sat right next to the railroad tracks. <laughs> the first night we slept there, a train came through our bedroom. Well, I mean, it felt like it came through our bedroom. I mean, it didn't just wake me up. It nearly gave me a heart attack. And this went on every single night. And at first I thought, we can't live here. But you know what happened? I started getting used to that nightly, those nightly awakenings. I would wake up for a few seconds, then go right back to sleep. And eventually, I got where the train didn't even wake me up anymore. It wouldn't be until someone came to visit and comment in the morning and say, that train woke me up. How do you live here? I said, what train? I don't even hear it. I hardened my heart to the train, and I couldn't hear it anymore. The same hardening process occurs when God speaks to our hearts, and we don't respond. Eventually, we stop hearing his voice because our hearts have become hard. What is the answer? What keeps us from hardened hearts? God says, there remains a rest still available. If your heart is still tender, this is the time to act on it. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, it says in verse 7 of Hebrews 4. Today is the day to enter into that rest because no one in this room is guaranteed tomorrow. God has set a limit on his grace. The age of grace isn't forever. Act immediately, for the promise of rest will end and be lost forever. Loved ones, don't miss grace. If you've heard the gospel preached and you don't combine it with faith, it has no value to you. If you hear hear God's word week after week but don't act on it, it is useless. It would be like, as one preacher described, it as memorizing the menu at some restaurant, but never eating the food and walking around skin and bones. Doesn't matter how many sermons you've listened to, how many menus you've memorized. If it isn't taken in and say, that's for me, that's for me. It's a description of futility. Are you combining what you know with faith? Brian, are you combining what you know with faith? Believer, are you listening to God's word and combining with faith as if your life in heaven depends on it? 
Have you been going further in your walk with Christ than where you were when you first met him? A little boy constantly fell out of bed. No matter what his parents did, the boy couldn't sleep without rolling out of bed onto the floor. An uncle came to visit, and in the middle of the night, the usual thump, and the cry was heard. And so in the morning, the uncle teased the boy and asked him, Why do you keep falling out of bed? The little fellow thought for a moment, and he said, I don't know, but I think it's because I stay too close to the place where I get in. (laughs) I like that. I think it's it's because I stay too close to the place where I get in. Many people have fallen because they stay too close to where they get in. His best for you is much more than the call to get you into salvation and go no further. Tony Campolo put it this way as only he can put it. Most Christians I know have just enough of the gospel to make them miserable, but not enough to make them joyful. They know enough about the biblical message to keep them from doing the things which the world tempts them to do, but they do not have enough of a commitment to Christ to do those things through which they might experience the fullness of joy. Folks, enter into rest for your souls. Commit your life to Him. The question is, are you finding R and R? And what is the R and R I'm talking about? Rest and rejoicing. Rest and rejoicing. We are a blessed people, and a blessed place ought to be blessing God. Our life ought to be characterized as one continual doxology. Doxology should characterize every believer's life. Am I wrong on this? Look at Scripture. A sure sign that you haven't entered into the spiritual rest for your souls is a response of rejoicing. Is a lack of that. Do you have just enough of the gospel to make you miserable, or does it make you joyful? I always think a little boy who saw a donkey and said to his father, he must be a wonderful Christian. He has such a long face. (laughs) How in the world... How in the world can we who have been touched by the life-changing message of the gospel not be ready just to explode with praise? I speak into myself. Is it because we really don't appreciate all we have? Our inheritance in Christ? There was a man who owned a small estate who wished to sell it. So he sent for a real estate agent and asked him to write up an advertisement describing the house and land that he owned. When the ad was ready, the agent brought it to the owner and he read to him what he wrote. And when he finished reading the description of the house and land, the owner replied, read that again. So the agent read the description again of the estate once more. And when he was finished reading it, the owner said, I don't think I'll be selling it after all. What do you mean, asked the agent. Well, the owner said, I've been looking for an estate like that all of my life, and I didn't realize I owned it. (laughs) 
Our inheritance in Christ, inheritance in Christ, we are rich indeed. Have we paused to consider all that we have in Jesus Christ? Ask God to open your eyes to see your possessions in Christ if you've entered the rest. And then by all means, rejoice. Let there be bursts of praise and joy. Find rest. Find rejoicing. They go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this passage in Joshua that led us to this idea of rest. I've only scratched the surface. May we be willing to go deeper with you and what it means to be a blessed people. We claim and own and walk in and inheritance in Jesus Christ and all that we have. May joy spill out of our lives. God, may we not settle to stay right at that place where we got in, but to go deeper and deeper and deeper with you. You've spoken to my heart about this this, this week. Maybe that's why I was resisting going where I was supposed to go this morning. Over and over again, I said, that's for me. That's for me. God, show us what it is we're supposed to grab a hold of this morning. And if there's someone here that has never entered into that spiritual rest, they're still trying to earn their way into heaven, trying to, to get approval from you by doing this and doing that and running all over the place and and, and, and trying to find it in religion, I pray they would give that up this very day so that their hearts would not be, become hardened and receive your invitation to go to you and find rest, true rest, spiritual rest for their souls. Speak to that person's heart this morning around this. In Jesus' name, amen.